0: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. There's an extraordinary event that is taking place at the University of Massachusetts this week that we want you to know about. And joining us in the studio, Chris Oppie, who is a professor of history at UMass Amherst and the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy. Also with us, Dr. R. Helfen who is the past president of the Physicians for Social Responsibility and the co-founder, co-founder of the Back from the Brink campaign. Chris Oppie, you have arranged for this amazing uh, series of events at UMass Amherst uh, featuring uh, Dr. Ira Helfen. So let's start with you. Tell us what is happening at the university this week, if you would, please.
1: Thanks, Bill. <clears throat> yes, this year the Ellsberg Initiative um, which has embarked on its first year of independent programming, is launching uh, an activist-in-residence program where each year we're going to bring to campus for a week uh, a distinguished activist who will um, meet with um, students and faculty informally, visit classes, uh, give a public lecture and uh, a public workshop on activism, and in this case um, we're delighted to have as our inaugural activist in residence, very distinguished anti-nuclear activist Ira Helfand, uh, who who knew and and worked with Dan Ellsberg for quite a few years. Uh, Ellsberg is of course well known as the whistleblower who released the uh, Pentagon Papers about the Vietnam War, but he was uh, equally concerned about the dangers of uh, nuclear proliferation uh, and nuclear arms and nuclear warfare. Uh, so the two big events this week for the public, which we encourage people to come to, uh, will be tonight at 7 o'clock on the UMass campus in the Integrative Learning Center in room S331, uh, where he's giving a lecture on the, uh, the growing danger of nuclear war and what we can do to prevent it. And then uh, Thursday night, same time, 7 p.m., same place, Integrative Learning Center, uh, he'll be giving a workshop uh with really more sort of nitty-gritty details about what what we can what we can do to organize and come together uh, to try eventually to abolish nuclear weapons.
0: The Integrative Learning Center is where on the campus?
1: Well, if you park in if you go to central parking and you'll come out, you'll see the student union in front of you. If you just go around the student union toward the campus pond, it's on the other side of the campus pond. Right. Easy, yeah. easy to get easy to. Easy to get to.
0: So, uh, at the risk of being a bit depressing, uh, I'd like to turn to Dr. Ira Helfen and ask you the question that I posed for the show today, which was, how close are we to nuclear war? How great is the danger? And I ask that of you, Dr. Helfen, because I think that the response that most of us have to this topic is to say, oh, it can't happen, it's impossible, they'll never do that, um, someone will always be responsible. Uh, and it forces us, the topic forces us to think about the unthinkable, and I think our response as human beings is to say, I'm just not going to do that, and so we don't. And so this brings me to you, to the question of how close are we, how great is the danger today.
2: Uh, The danger is really great, Bill, and we're very close. Uh, The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists with their doomsday clock tries to estimate this every year. In January of last year, 2023, they set the clock at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest it's ever been. They kept it at 90 seconds this year, which most of us thought was a mistake. We thought that we actually have moved significantly closer to nuclear war in the last year uh, with the new fighting in Gaza, with the continued fighting in Ukraine. Uh, with the possibility of a Trump presidency looming on the horizon. And I think you're just right. We don't want to think about this, and we put it out of mind. I think we find it hard to believe this could happen. And this is an idea that I've been been wrestling with over the last few months. Even people like myself who, who look at this issue closely, who know how close we are to nuclear war, who know how terrible nuclear war is going to be, really in our hearts don't believe this can happen. We know it can happen, but we find it hard to believe it. And that, that dissonance between reality, what we know, and belief, what we want to know, uh, it, it is really profound at, at this moment in time. It wasn't always like this. At times in the past, people did get it. In the early 1980s, we all lived in terror that there'd be a nuclear war. And that fear was really valuable because it motivated us to take action. And millions of people did. I mean, literally, uh, the, the big demonstration in Central Park in 1982 had over a million people at it. That action was extremely consequential. It created a climate in which we could end the Cold War arms race, which we did successfully, something which we must remember, the enormous impact we were able to have then. And so the real challenge for us today, I think, is to recreate that sense of fear that understanding that this is an imminent threat that is going to engulf us if we don't take action, but on the other hand, to understand further that we can take action, that this does not have to happen.
0: Well, I want to ask you both about what action to take, but before we do, I'd like to uh, push back a bit on this engendering of fear, because it seems to me that when the Ukraine war started, there was great fear that Russia and Putin would use what is called so-called tactical nuclear weapons, which means nuclear weapons on the battlefield uh, as opposed to intercontinental ballistic missiles. Um, But then China apparently talked Putin out of using his nuclear weapons. And I think a lot of people took that and said, see, we're never going to have the use of nuclear weapons. And I think that's all the wrong lesson. But I think it is something that lives underneath the surface of this It really won't, can't happen. See, here's a recent example. What's your response
2: to that, Doctor? Well, the fact that we haven't had a nuclear war so far is really quite fortunate, but it's not a reason to take comfort that we're not going to have one in the future. And, you know, I think the the whole situation was summed up best by Robert McNamara some years ago. When looking back at that point at the history of the nuclear weapons era, he said, you know, basically, it's not because we know what we're doing. It's not because we're smart or we have smart leaders or we have wise military doctrine or infallible technology. What he said was, quotes, we lucked out. It was luck that prevented nuclear war. And I think that remains true today. We've been incredibly lucky. We have no reason to expect that our luck is going to last forever. And the fact that we have so far in Ukraine avoided the use of nuclear weapons doesn't even mean we're not going to see their use there. Uh, At the moment, uh, the Russians seem to be doing pretty well. It's been postulated that if they use nuclear weapons, it would occur in a situation where they were not doing well. But the tide of battle has changed in Ukraine several times. We don't know how this particular conflict is going to play out. And it's only one of many potential conflicts that could lead to nuclear war. What are the others? Well, first of all, there could be an accident. Uh, And in the context of the Ukraine war, that is something that remains a real fear. If there have been many instances in the past when a computer glitch that one side or the other, to believe that it was under nuclear attack. On each of those occasions, countries actually began the process of launching their nuclear arsenals, and we pulled back at the very last minute. Both the Russians and the Americans have done this. In the current context, if there was another computer glitch like that, we may well not be that lucky. Uh, If Russian military radar incorrectly showed an incoming U.S. military attack in the current moment with all the tension between the United States and Russia, there's a good chance they would think this was real.
0: So that's one thing. That With a happen. matter of seconds to make a decision whether the attack is real or not.
2: Exactly. And whether or not to launch the nukes. Exactly. We, you know, we have our weapons and they have their weapons on hair trigger alert. They're sitting on missiles that can be launched in a matter of minutes. A, a, a totally crazy situation in itself, but one which dramatically increases the chance of a, of a poor decision being made during a crisis. So that's one, one thing that could happen. The United States and China are kind of on a collision course. Um, it's we're not fighting yet but we have military forces maneuvering around each other in the South China Sea that could escalate into a conflict the situation with Korea is profoundly unstable at this moment no one is clear what Kim is thinking at this moment in time but he has made extremely provocative statements in the last few months and then there's the situation in South Asia between India and Pakistan which people generally don't pay any attention to here in the United States but these countries both have significant nuclear arsenals. They fought four wars already. They've come close to war twice in 2019, and there's low-level fighting on their border every day. And this could easily escalate into a nuclear war, which would not just be a disaster in South Asia, but the climate effects of that war would engulf the entire world, including us here in the United States. So Dr. helfen uh, as the past president of Physi- Physicians
0: for Social Responsibility, the co-founder of, of the Back from the Brink campaign, You've mentioned Putin a couple of times, and I have two questions about Putin in particular. Um, the first is, what do you make of the recent news reports that Putin's
2: trying to put nukes in outer space? Let's, let's start there. Uh, this, this effort, if he goes ahead with it, is a further escalation of the nuclear arms race. You know, For a period of time after the end of the Cold War, the arms race stopped, and in fact, the emphasis was on cutting arsenals and decreasing tension. That's been completely reversed in the last few years. All nine of the countries that have nuclear weapons are looking to enhance, modernize, and expand their nuclear arsenals. And this is just simply one example of that. Uh, they're developing other kinds of weapons, weapons. When I say they, I mean all, all, almost all of the nuclear weapons countries. They're looking at hypersonic delivery systems. They're looking at autonomous delivery systems, which should terrify everyone. And the, the thought that we would turn over decision-making about nuclear war to artificial intelligence uh, is a real possibility and something which is absolutely terrifying to me.
0: Tell us more about the United States and Russia
2: being on hair-trigger alert. What does that mean? It, It means that we have a significant number of warheads, several hundred on each side, that are sitting on missiles that are primed and ready to launch. It only requires an order for them to be launched. As opposed to, for example, the situation in China where the warheads are stored separately from the missiles so that it takes a certain period of time, a day or two at least, to mate the warheads to their delivery systems. By having these weapons sitting on missiles that are ready to be launched, not only does it make it possible for an impulsive decision to lead to nuclear war, it also makes these weapons susceptible to cyber attack. You know, a, a terrorist group or a criminal group or a state that does not have its own nuclear weapons could potentially hack into the command and control systems of a nuclear-armed state and launch those missiles. Or it could create a false alert, lead the country being hacked to think it's under attack and trick it into launching its missiles. And this is an extraordinarily dangerous situation. It's the the posture of keeping the weapons on hair trigger alert is a holdover from the Cold War. There's no reason for it at all. And it's one of the uh, policy measures that the Back from the Brink campaigns advocates, taking those weapons off hair trigger alert so they're not vulnerable in this way. The other recent development that I want to ask you
0: about, Dr. Helfand, is the uh, increase of n- in the number of nations who are now part of NATO. And NATO has an agreement that an attack on any one nation is an attack on all. Putin, it seems to me, could very well uh, attack one of his neighboring countries. And I'm wondering whether this causes more consternation from where you sit as the co-founder of the Back from the Brink campaign, and or whether you think this is a good idea and might deter uh,
2: Putin from his, his war-making ways. You know, I think the danger of Putin attacking a NATO country is real, and fear about that is much greater in Europe, which lives closer to the problem than it is here. It's part of the reason why support in Europe is so strong for Ukraine, because of a concern that if Putin is successful there, he will be tempted to take similar action against uh, the Baltic countries, all of which have large Russian minority populations, and all of which are members of NATO
0: now. And And, an attack on one is an attack on all. So if he were, for example, to uh, move troops or to attack uh, Finland um, or one of the other uh, countries that are on his border, that is as a matter of treaty, law in the United States, an attack on the United States.
2: That's correct. And that situation is extremely dangerous. And it, I think there's great controversy about what is the best way to deal with Putin uh, at the moment, whose goals are not clear, uh, whose you know, we cannot trust his public statements. He told us up until the moment he invaded Ukraine that he wasn't going to do it. Uh, And so it's really hard to know how to play this particular game. And I think the bottom line in that situation is it just underlines the importance of getting the nuclear weapons off the table if that's at all possible so that, at the very least, there is not the possibility of a nuclear war. And I think that can be separated from the, from the, other, the other problems we're dealing with. At the very height of the Cold War, in 1983, when the United States and the Soviet Union were threatening each other daily, we were still able to reach an agreement to end the Cold War nuclear arms race because the leaders on both sides came to understand what they were doing, where their policies were leading, and what was going to happen if they continued along those lines. And that, I think, is our only hope, that we can induce the same level of understanding amongst our current generation of leaders and get them to understand that if they continue this behavior, our luck is going to run out, the weapons are going to be used, and everything that we care about, everything that they care about, is going to be destroyed.
0: We are speaking with Dr. R. Helfand, who will be presenting at the University of Massachusetts this week for two public sessions We're going to talk in just a moment about what you can do, how you as an activist can try to prevent nuclear war. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, coming up right here on WHMP. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Chris Oppie, who is a UMass professor of history and the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy, and Dr. Ira Helfand who is the past president of Physicians for Social Responsibility and the co-founder of Back from the Brink Campaign. There are two events at UMass, free and open to the public, that you want to know about. Uh, Professor Oppie, tell us what they are, if you would, please.
1: Uh, They are public uh, lectures tonight at 7 and Thursday at 7.00. For details, you could go to our website, which is EIPAD.org. org. Ellsberg, Ellsberg Initiative Peace, Initiative for Peace and Democracy. Democracy. It's just EIPAD.org and just click on the hamburger icon to, under uh, Activists in Residence. Um, so this program we're very excited about. You know, We do a good job at universities of bringing in experts and talking about problems and having writers in residence, but... We're really excited to, to uh, actually talk to students about things they might concretely do to address this uh, really existential threat of nuclear weapons.
0: So there's a lecture tonight by uh, Dr. Helfen 7 o'clock, where?
1: At uh, the Integrative Learning Center on campus in room S331. And the Thursday workshop um, on anti-nuclear activism will be in the same place, same time, 7 o'clock. There's a, a
0: workshop night. on how we can learn to be anti-nuclear activists. Exactly. And Dr. Helfen will be uh, leading that, leading that yeah. as well. So, D- Dr. Helfand, um you, you paint a pretty grim picture uh, of the potential for nuclear war. You also hearken back to a time when there was enormous progress made in reducing n- nuclear arsenals. But here we are, And the title of the campaign that you're the co-founder of is the Back from the Brink campaign, which certainly implies that we are close to the brink. How do we, as persons concerned who would like to get our head out of the sand,
2: how do we focus on this issue in a meaningful way? So the Back from the Brink campaign was designed to create a vehicle whereby ordinary citizens can bring their communities into this public conversation and create a climate where the U.S. government will make fundamental change in nuclear policy. Joe Biden, as vice president, last speech in January of 2017, highlighted the urgent need for the United States to eliminate all nuclear weapons worldwide and spoke about the special role the U.S. needs to play. But as president, he hasn't done that. And so we need to put pressure on him and we need to create space for him to do that. Uh, The Back from the Brink campaign is organized around a call for the United States to enter into negotiations with the other eight nuclear-armed states. There are details about the campaign at our website, PreventNuclearWar.org. And what we are doing is reaching out to constituencies all around the country and getting them to endorse that call. We've gotten over 450 NGOs across the country, including major national organizations, to endorse this call. Seventy cities, including 20 here in Massachusetts, have endorsed this call. We have a resolution in Congress, HRES 77, which was introduced by our own Congressman Jim McGovern, which calls in the United States to adopt this call as its formal policy. And there are many ways that individuals and communities that they belong to can help to create pressure in support of these initiatives. I don't want to be be Pollyannish about this, but I would like to ask you
0: whether or not, given that there is this enormous arsenal of nuclear weapons, and there has been for some time now, at least some equilibrium in the massive destruction that we can rain down upon each other, whether well, this is actually an opportune time. It's kind of when there's a standoff on the
2: battlefield, it's a good time to negotiate. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the common wisdom is this is a very difficult time to negotiate because things are so tense. But at a very similar time in the early 1980s, that's exactly when the great breakthrough took place. And it was because not only are, should we be frightened, but the leaders of our country should be frightened too. And it creates an opportunity for them to approach this issue with new thinking. And that that is what happened with Gorbachev and Reagan. And there's no reason to assume that Biden and Xi couldn't have the same kind of of epiphany and come to the same understanding that it is their highest priority must be the elimination of all nuclear weapons.
0: Let me turn back to uh, Professor
2: Chris Oppie,
0: who is the director of the Ellsberg Initiative for Peace and Democracy. Tell us one more time, please, Where are the events and the lectures and the workshops featuring Dr. Helfen?
1: Dr. Helfen will be lecturing tonight at 7 p.m. in the Integrative Learning Center at UMass in room S331, and again on Thursday night at 7 o'clock in the same building in the same room.
0: And if you drive to the UMass parking garage, you're
1: close. Very close, just around the corner.
0: We leave it there. Thank you both so very much, Dr. Helfen, Professor Alpi.
1: Thanks for having us, Bill.